Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network as we continue our coverage of 24 a James Bond podcast. I don't know where I'm going with that. Oh, I may as well advertise our other podcasts we have. Double Oz 7, now available via all good podcast platforms. I'm going to try that every single week and I'll, I'll fit it in. <laughs> uh, we are here for episode two of season one. Day one, whatever you want to call this. This, of course, is the episode titled 1am to 2am. It first aired on the 13th of November 2001. It was written by Joel Cerno and Michael Losef, directed by Stephen Hopkins. And unless you were in Canada and maybe watched this on the same night, uh, you had to wait a whole week to find out. All of what's happened in a very dramatic day, the longest day of Jack Bauer's life, although we actually haven't worked that out yet because we haven't gotten to that part of the season. We will get there soon. My name is Ben, and don't be a bitch. And my name is Colin, and Ben, you can boss me around all you want here, but when you and I punch out, (laughs) we're something else. Ooh, Mr. Hilding. Uh, <laughs> who says this is my first time? Um, <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we didn't get cancelled last week. We're back to do episode two. That's good. Oh, um, there's plenty of time. <laughs> there's there's plenty. <laughs> We're going to drop all these time references, don't we? Like, you know, <laughs> the time is <laughs> running out. The clock is ticking. Um, but episode two of season one, uh, a plane blew up last week. We haven't had a damn it yet. But we've got Jack Bauer killing people this week. Uh, one of the greatest characters of all 24, two of the greatest characters of all 24, make their debuts in this yeah. episode. Jack Bauer's hair, I swear, has gotten blonder and longer this week. <laughs> um, and Kim is All starting- that time he spent in the sun in the yeah. first hour. Yeah, Kim is starting to get annoying. Um, <laughs> episode 2 of 24, call it. It has it all. It, it it does. There's there's a couple other firsts in here I'm excited about, like the first 24 theme that gets played. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not the but the that that we get that um, we get the first used condom wrapper in 24 oh, history. I guess yes. that's uh, something we've been waiting for. Um, we, I mean, that's what we've all been waiting for, really. Let's be honest. That's that's the one that we've all been there. Um, I, I don't know if we talked too much last week about the theme. Sean Callery, um, a big fan of his uh, theme, um, bought the soundtrack. I mean, I think they released a couple of soundtracks for this from memory. Um, mm. He did a sort of a remix version uh, called The Longest Day. It was sort of like a, a dance techno remix, which is really, really good. So... Um, he's definitely someone that I'll praise a lot throughout this show because I think that the theme definitely is a part of this show and really makes it work. So uh, it's something that I don't think we really talk too much about uh, in Nip Tuck and Third Watch. I mean, we obviously talk about it in Lost a little bit, but um, yeah, I don't think there's really a, a score as such uh, in terms of a noticeable one in those other shows. Mm. So uh, I don't know if you ever went out. You, I mean, I know you're a soundtrack man like me. I don't know if you ever bought mm. the 24 soundtrack. Yeah, no, I remember that. Um, and the theme itself is, you know it's a good soundtrack or you know it's a good theme when you have a TV show like this where the theme is not played at the beginning. And even when the show ends, you wait around for the commercial break to end so you can hear that theme playing over the end credits. Uh, you know, there's a couple shows like the Twilight Zones one where I'll always watch for the end credits. And sometimes I'll be watching something with Jamie and she'll be like, what are you doing? The show's over. I'm like, yeah, but you got to hear the theme at the end. And this is one of those themes. Like, I, I, yeah, I love it. And it has been a long time since I've heard this. Soundtrack. You said that they released multiple. I only remember, I think, one. 
I'm pretty sure there was at least two, or maybe they ended up doing some some digitally. I can't remember, but I, I'm pretty sure there was at least two. I mean, I could be wrong, but um, yeah, you're right. I I always would watch the the ending of it uh, with the theme, and um, yeah, it was similar with I will say with Third Watch, while there wasn't a theme, like I'd always like the sort of the obviously the opening credits it was a little bit different, more of a procedural show, and they had the uh, the closing credits as well with the music, which was always something that I liked as well, but. Um, yeah, it's um, the Sean Callery theme. It definitely stands out to me. And it, you're right. It's kind of interesting when you don't have an opening credits. Like, I mean, obviously you have the... Mm-hmm. Like, um, but we, we also, this episode, I'll say, and this might be related to the fact that, it, uh, I mean, you said it aired back-to-back for you in Canada. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. it might have been Australia. Like, it does kind of vaguely sound familiar now that you say that. Um, but at least on my version, I didn't have a previously on 24. Did you have a previously no, on 24? None on mine. No. Yeah. So, uh, maybe that's just got something to do with it airing, uh, back to back, but we'll, we'll get pretty much into this unless you've got anything to add. I mean, a recap from last week, of course, a plane <laughs> blew up right at the very end, I guess. Um, as a mole in CTU, uh, we discover that people can, um, you know, find out that uh, a 747 blows up in the space of five minutes. Um, bit of a bit of a plot hole uh, or a mistake, I think, around that. Because uh, this is the thing that I always love about when you go to a second episode or like when you're watching back back to back 24, right? Like refresh people's memories. This was in a day of television where you didn't have things like a whole season dropping in a day. Like you would have mm. to wait each week to find out what's happened. So of course even though we're saying that this episode might have aired back-to-back in some markets with the first episode, so you're watching it immediately. In most places, you would be watching this a week later. So um, it was always interesting in a real-time show to kind of realise that what you're watching on screen is technically only meant to happen like minutes after the end of the last Mm -hmm. episode, right? Uh, And we're going to get something quite significant here when you've had Tony basically on the phone in the end of last episode going, a 747 just blew up over the Mojave Desert. (laughs) First indications are that it's a bomb. And uh, straight away, basically, at CTU, they're here and Jack's like, have you got the the passenger list? Uh, And Tony's like, yes, I do have it. And Jack's like, oh, this isn't an accident. And Tony's like, what makes you think that? (laughs) It's like, you just said like three minutes ago that you think it's a bomb. (laughs) Do you know what's even better about that for me? It's it's the fact, let's just ignore last week where they're like, it's a bomb. (laughs) But... He says, oh, yeah, you know, I think it was a bomb or whatever. And Tony's like, what makes you think that? I just wanted Jack to be like, because we're the counterterrorism <laughs> unit. We're not going to be investigating this if it's an accident. <laughs> we're not the counter-accident unit. Yeah, counter-C-A-U, <laughs> counter-accident unit. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, like, okay, um, I mean, a couple of things. Like, we're going to be overly critical analyzing. This is probably going to be the most over-analytical I've ever watched 24, right? So you're picking up on a lot more things. And secondly, like, this is the second episode. You, you, and also you're coming off the back of a pilot episode. I mean, we mentioned last week that something like when Palmer goes out on the balcony and it takes a call and, like, if you wear that allegation, like, the writers didn't know what that allegation was at the time. So, yes, there are definitely, like, you've got to excuse things like this because you film a pilot, you don't know if you're going to film a second episode, you don't know what's going to happen. So there are going to be things like this. We talked about this in all the other shows that we have done, that, like, there are things that on the grand scheme of this show don't really make sense so you can excuse it and also a real-time show you have to be a bit forgiving on how things play out like if like we talk about the traffic aspect that's going to be a long-running trope (laughs) of counter of, of 24 la that there's never any traffic and everything's only five minutes away if this was legitimately los angeles like half of this show is going to be jack bauer stuck in traffic and i mean i'd watch it um, I'd, be, I'd be intrigued, <laughs> but I don't know how many other people would. Because like we, we've even got this at the start of the episode. We've got Mandy, who's just blown up a 747 over the Mojave Desert. She's landed on the ground within about five minutes of the plane blowing up. Now, I don't know how high 747s fly, Colin. I'm <laughs> thinking it's a few kilometres up in the air. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of problems. I, I don't even know if you can parachute that high out without getting like dead because of lack of oxygen but uh i mean she's landing on the ground very quickly there's no debris uh, 
It's very bright in the desert at that time of night. Um, I mean, again, a few little things here and there that we can just be completely anal and pick apart. But we get to see Mandy naked shortly, so uh, what am I complaining about? Um, we see the exterior of CTU. Now, one thing that's actually interesting to note too, going from like a pilot into a second episode, is that they actually change set designers for the second episode. So if you actually pay really close attention to the inside of CTU, it's actually different. Like they kind of keep it slightly similar to the pilot episode, but it's actually a completely different set and they've got a completely different set designer for CTU from this point on. So wait, wait, when did Cubby become Yankee? I, I know, right? Like, how how did you not pick that up from before? <laughs> like, so we get a shot of the outside of CTU here, and it actually is completely different to the one we saw in the first episode. But, uh, yeah, Tony, of course, he's a bit more, you know, suspicious this week. You're really not meant to like him when he's questioning everything to do with Jack. It's, is, it, is it just weird to me, or is it weird seeing Jack, like, calm office boss? Like, I, it's more weird to me seeing him like this in this episode than last week being family man Jack. I don't know if that was just me. Uh, it, it's you're just talking about him being like Mr. Authority figure. Well, just it's not even authority figure. It's more just like he's there, like going like Tony, get me the list and do this and do that, like and just everybody's kind of like hanging on to his word. And then when Tony calls him out for like, why did George Mason leave limping? Like it's just kind of like he's the office manager Jack here. I feel. Yeah, yeah. This is administrative Jack. It's bureaucrat Jack. Um, yeah. That's one of the things that always. I'm not going to say set me off about season one, but I think once you get into the rest of the series, season one feels so different. And we talked about it with several areas last week, like family man, Jack and smiling David Palmer, which we're going to get more of this week. Uh, but it's it, in a way, it's kind of cool to go back and see this is the way it started. Now, if they had done this a couple seasons in, it wouldn't have the same novelty, but this almost feels like the prequel story now to mm. Jack Bauer because it is a completely different character. And the fact that it is only existing in these first couple episodes, we get this, it, it kind of has a novelty about it. That's Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that the, the thing is too, like, as I kind of said with that, like obviously you're establishing a character, you're building it up. You don't want to go all guns blazing, crazy Jack, as we know he's going to be, but you get elements of that, don't you? Like, I mean, we're literally going to get him chopping a thumb off in this episode. So like, <laughs> you, you know, like they, they've clearly got a, I, I think a, a pathway for the Jack Bauer that we're going to know and love uh, throughout this mm-hmm. show. Who's kind of, cause I mean like, yeah, like Jack is always going to be a caring person. And that's the thing with Jack Bauer, isn't it? That like as crazy and outlandish as he is, he, he's doing it for the greater good. And like everything he mm-hmm. does is for what he sees is the greater good. Um, so, you know, chopping a thumb off, things like that. Um, so yeah, Tony's questioning Jack a bit here, you know, about George Mason leaving and kind of Nina stands up for Jack and very now interesting. that felt weird. Yeah. Jack but- just being like, uh, 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 Nina's like, I got the Jack. There's, <laughs> Sit there's, tight. <laughs> there's, some, there's a line here that like I've, I've only ever really picked up on this when we're going to come to Tony kind of going to Nina here shortly and basically like, you know, I've seen you lie before and do this. And one thing that I've noticed is you're very good at lying. Like, you know, you're very mm-hmm. convincing liar. Just bookmark that people. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's something that I never like kind of really connected the dots for, but like, mm-hmm. it's very clever. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm jumping ahead there. As I said, Mandy's naked. She's uh, in the desert. She's burning her clothes. She gets picked up. Okay, Question. Some- because yes. I know you're going to pick up on it before I will. Mm-hmm. Is she fully naked? Or I thought that maybe she Underwear. just had. Okay, that's what I thought. But <laughs> this episode on Amazon Prime, it has like the rating at the top where it says rated whatever for violence slash nudity. Uh, but yeah, no. I thought that I saw underwear here. Yeah, unfortunately, there's underwear. But uh, um, if you want to see more of Mia Kirshner, watch the L word. Uh, just... <laughs> Just saying. Coming soon to the Oz Network. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, it's it's a show about lesbians, so you know I know it exists. Um, but, uh, no, all seriousness, Mia Kirshner, great actress. Uh, she just happens to look fantastic at the same time. But I just love the fact she's sitting in the desert, burning her clothes, gets picked up in a Jeep <laughs> with somebody just like, get the key card. And just, she's just like, yep, and then just drives off. But this is a great thing about Mandy, like, I feel we undersold Mandy. Like, just the way she is, she's just this badass who kind of just gets up, blows up a plane, walks into a car, just doesn't give a shit if she's naked or not, just does what she does, and then we're going to see her just, like, in a building soon. Like, oh, she's mm. so good. Like, Mandy is amazing. She's one of the best side characters in all of 24. 
Um, I did some reading um, oh, in the last you? week. Did you? What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we know that Mandy's going to come back, pop up, you know, occasionally for the first couple seasons here. Uh, and uh, I, I think you might have mentioned last week that there were plans to bring her back or whatever. So I started looking into what those plans are. I don't want to spoil anything uh, right now, but, you know, in a couple of years when we get there, there are some pretty cool ideas on using her. I think particularly in season seven that I didn't even know about that I thought would have been fantastic. Yeah, I I do vaguely remember uh, knowing all about that and it just never panned out or something because from memory and without being too spoilerific, I mean, she's definitely in season two, I think season four is her mm-hmm. last season appearance from memory. And I believe she's in the game for quite some time too. Is she not uh, from, from memory? can't it's remember been... if she's in the game. No, no, you're, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. It's been a while since I played the game, but um, I, I, I'm looking forward to maybe doing an episode on the game because that game slightly underrated. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, she, she's definitely someone who uh, could have been used a lot more. But, again, as we kind of said last week with some of these characters, it's um, 24 does a really good job of not overusing characters and kind of moving on into new phases of the storyline over the, the seasons. So that would be the problem with someone like Mandy's. You could easily overuse her and then kind of just get a little mm-hmm. bit sick of it. So um, obviously we'll talk about her over the years. Um, yeah, here's a sequence where kind of Tony's calling uh, Nina out for the whole like, you're a, you're a good liar, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's yeah, quite an interesting scene. Uh, we go to our favourite uh, dynamic duo, Alan York and Terry Bauer, driving <laughs> around the uh, mean streets of suburban Los Angeles. Now, how long did it take Kim and Janet last week to get to the furniture store, whereas uh, Terry and Alan York are still searching for it? Uh, so um now one we had the address too the address was in the email now a couple of things here and again like i feel so bad like being so nitpicky because i do love this show um but okay so they arrive at this furniture store first of all the furniture store is unlocked good job dan (laughs) and rick for just leaving this furniture store unlocked now um again i don't want to be spoilerific but as they get out of this car they, they look at the red car that is there that we know is Janet's car, right? Now, Alan York just looks at it and walks straight into the store. He doesn't say anything. Yet in just mm-hmm. a moment when Terry's on the phone to Jack, she's going to go, oh, Janet's car's here. Now, the only thing that I can think of as any reason for that is maybe Janet comes over to Terry's house a lot to pick up Kim's and maybe she knows what Janet's car looks like. But notice Alan never says, oh, look, that's Janet's car. Mm-hmm. So bookmark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, again, that could be a plot hole or that could be a bit of clever writing there. Mm. So uh, something like that. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of Janet, damn it, Janet, she's passing out in the car. And, um, you know, what is, what is this where Kim's like, what did you give her? Nothing she didn't want. And she's off in fairyland. Yeah. Again, Dan's penis is so good that she's still completely stoned and <laughs> up. Um and so, because this is the thing too that I kind of find a bit funny. Like, like I said, Kim's maybe getting a little bit annoying. Now, the, the big plot twist at the end of last week with these guys is, of course, is I'm not taking you home. Just relax. Like, you know, the party's only, night's only getting started. Now, at this point, Kim's essentially being kidnapped. And yet she's still being slightly chill here. And Rick's basically like, oh, it's okay. Uh, like, oh. just hang out for a little bit. It's like, what is this, like a frat thing? Like, do I have to go away, go along with it? Yeah, kind of like a frat thing. Now... I don't know much about college life in the States, but when I know like frat things, like generally I've only seen that in like teenage movies and porn and it's usually sex related. <laughs> so I'm Ben's sorry. Ben's two favourite genres. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like is Kim just must be like, fine, I'll be involved in an orgy. Just take me home in an hour. <laughs> like, I don't know what Kim's expecting here. If this is like a hazing project. I mean, I, how is Canada colleges? Is this, is this the same? Like you just have orgies all the time? Uh, I mean, my college, at least what I took, was pretty much exclusively online. Um, so <laughs> online, you can orgies. imagine, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, internet orgies in the middle of class. <laughs> now, an orgy colon is when multiple people multiple people engage in sex. It's what a that's thing. disgusting. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? <laughs> Ask Jamie; she'll know all about it. Um, but yeah, so they're kind of just like, oh, go along with it. And Kim's kind of very calm and he's like oh yeah whatever fine but actually one thing i'm actually really appreciating on this rewatch 
He's Dan's like a, a massive douche evil dick, but I actually kind of just like the way this guy plays him. He's just like such a tool, and you're meant to absolutely hate this guy because he's going to break Janet's arm, and he's just like, oh, didn't give her anything. And what does he say here? Like, I told you you should have roofied her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just such a dick, but there's just something about like a real dick character that just uh, I like. I like Dan. Rick, I, Ben likes a good dick. I like, I like That's basically what he's getting at. <laughs> yes, I do. In an orgy, he I, likes a good dick. He likes an orgy. <laughs> yep. Why not? Welcome to our twenty-four coverage. Um, meanwhile, we've got Walsh. We haven't seen him in well an hour, I guess. Um, and he's in a, a shady building because this is where all agents meet. I'd love to meet a real government agent. And just be like, hey, like, do you actually meet in, like, shady buildings at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning? Is this a thing? Like, because they probably just literally met at Starbucks at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning. Because, like, like if I'm at Starbucks and I'm, like, sitting down having my coffee, like, you kind of glance around the restaurant, right? And you're like, oh, you know, like, a game Mallory and I like to play is generally we see, like, a, a same-sex pairing, male or female, and we're like, friends or gay, what do you think? Um... It's just fun. I like to do it. Uh, but, like, I don't necessarily browse my local Starbucks and go, oh, they're definitely a government agent, like, uh, secretly dropping classified information. Like, they could get away with it. So, come on, CTU real-life people, just meet okay, me at your local so Starbucks. Important question, Ben. Yes. Rick and Dan, friends or couple? Gay. Absolutely gay. gay. Like, just absolutely. Those two have ravishness. That's not even a word, but whatever. That's it's a <laughs> Ravenously <ravishness>. gay. <laughs> like, they, they are seriously one of these couples that just, like, they go home, they, they smoke a couple of joints, and they're banging all night long. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we know how good Dan's penis is. It gets, like, Janet so high right now. Like, fuck, Rick is loving every inch of it. So, um, <laughs> so gay. So, so gay. <laughs> um, I really hope we get either Rick or Dan on this show. Let's get them on. <laughs> Literally. Here. We can yeah. have an orgy. <laughs> yeah. no, it's all come full circle. Nicely yes. done. <laughs> Literally. It'll be like a massive circle jerk. Um, <laughs> anyway, Walsh is, is meeting up here. Who's this guy? Scott. Don't worry, folks. You don't need to know who this guy is because we don't even know how many times I've seen this season. I still don't know who this guy is. Probably pull up his 24 wiki page and he's probably got 100 theories. Uh, or is this lo- not lost wiki where they have a 1,000 theories for every small character? So anyway, he's here. He's basically passing off a key card and there's encrypted information here and eventually, essentially the dirty agent is found off this key card. Scott dies. No, not Scott. Um, and Walsh gets shot. He calls up Jack. And he's like, quick, come down and help me. What, I love how, like, Jack's like, oh, isn't... What's the, the agent's name? Where he's like, oh, isn't um, Ian just around the corner or something like that? <laughs> I don't know if it's Ian, but, oh, it's Isaac. Like, oh, Jack's like, oh, Isaac's closer. No, can't be Isaac. We don't like Isaac. Quick, Jack. I don't trust Isaac. Isaac, he's clearly dirty. <laughs> and also gay. <laughs> you know that Rick guy? Uh, <laughs> Uh, I might just kind of lump a couple of extra scenes here. Um, basically, uh, Walsh is like, get here. And Jack's like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. He takes about 15. No wonder Walsh is about to die, Jack. You're too slow. Um, <laughs> Jack calls up Terry. I've got to say, bit of a dick moment here, Terry. Like, oh, our daughter's missing, Jack. You should be here. It's like, she's and like Jack is 100% right. She's not missing. She's just snuck out of the house like an hour ago. <laughs> like, no wonder Kim wants to rebel, Terry. Like, she's been missing for an hour and you're calling CTU, basically, to to hack into phone numbers. Like, overbearing much? Yeah. How how do you think it would go over if Mallory suddenly called your work in the middle of a crisis? (laughs) Um, They'd probably be like, who is this? Ben? You're in the middle of calling a hockey game and over the PA system. Ben Waterworth to call Mallory. (laughs) Uh, look, that's something Louise would have done. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the one that d- didn't exist yeah. apparently was yeah. stalking you all that over was, the place. That was in her MO that I created. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but like, so she's here like, oh, you should come down here and check the extent. Like there's a condom and a couple of joints, Terry. Like you discovered <laughs> some joints in a drawer. Like I'm sure your daughter's having sex as well. Like, oh no. <gasps> Rebelli- Maybe even gay sex. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Ooh. You know, when, when, when Kim and Janet walk in, people say friends are gay. <laughs> gay. 
And that's just usually people like us who are disgusting pervs. Um, <laughs> and that's why we're doing it with uh, with Rick and Dan as well, let's be honest. Um, but, like, I feel Terry's like a mother from the 50s. Like, oh, no, she's having sex and drugs. Like... <laughs> Blessed be thou, Father, like our daughter has rebelled. Um, she's probably listening to Elvis as well. <gasps> no! <laughs> Look at the posters on her wall. Lincoln Park? What kind of filth is this? <laughs> Why isn't she listening to Perry Como like, like a good girl? <laughs> Tupac? What does that stand for? Tupac of condoms? <laughs> but I love this dramatic reveal when Alan York comes down from the stairs. I love it. We're just going to say his name, Alan York. Um, <laughs> with like a condom wrapper. And they all like have this look of disgust. They're like, oh, oh, oh. Like, it's okay. It was just Rick and Dan. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't want to contract a sexually transmitted infection. <laughs> but like, shouldn't you be happy if your daughter is engaging in a unmarital sex at least she's not going to be disgustingly Safe. pregnant and have to get an abortion oh like, <laughs> god sorry i feel like i'm being so negative against terry but let's be honest terry not off to a great start um so, she's just has short hair uh <laughs> short-haired women always Le- the problem leslie man would have done a better job um yeah, there's another bit of a confrontation here between Kim and our favourite gay couple. Um, <laughs> Senator Palmer, uh, they're watching the news because, again, the news is just fantastic in, in Los Angeles when a 747 blows up. They're straight there. They've already found the wreckage. There it is. Uh, I mean, obviously, they still haven't found the wreckage of that Malaysia flight. And then the second one that went down a couple of months later, it took them like several hours before they found it. Yet, fuck, the, the news team's in... Los Angeles in 2001 can fucking find a plane in the middle of the Mojave Desert within 15 minutes. Like, Jesus, they're great. No wonder they're on the phone threatening David Palmer with allegations. They're that good. Oh, God. Um, This is the one bit I do like here, though, like the little moment when, like, you know, Palmer's talking to Sherry and he's basically like, oh, you know, I'm sorry that I walked off before and, you know, today is going to be the second best day of my life. And it's like, oh, yeah, what's the first day? Oh, you really want to know? Yeah, I want to hear you say it. When I hit the game-winning home run or whatever it is. You know what? I really want somebody to re-edit this, all the intros in David Palmer's voice. It's like the following takes place between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. on the day of the California presidential primary. This is the second greatest day of my life. (laughs) Or like, this is the second longest day of my life. The day I married Sherry, that was the longest. Um, The prequel series, the greatest day of David Palmer's life where he hits the home run. I might cap it at Mandy and where we meet Ira Gaines for the very first time. Is he the big bad of this season? Spoiler alert, he's not. He's the first MacGuffin. He's the first guy that you basically think is the big bad. But uh, Mandy shows up. She's got a suitcase of money. uh, And is this where he's like, oh, I've got something for you in the summer. And she's like, not interested. It's like, you haven't even heard it yet. I'm I'm laying low for a while. Like, I just love these. I love love Gaines as well. Gaines is awesome. So, uh, yes, that is the first part of this episode. Over to you, Mr. Hilding. In three, two, one. Okay. <laughs> You're um, live. Just want to give a quick update here on uh, Scott, Scott Baylor. Oh, um, Scott. Yes. So, I mean, it's not terribly extensive, but uh, there is some good backstory here. Uh, Scott Baylor received a Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics from Cornell University and a Master of Science degree in computer science and software theory from Stanford University. He later studied towards a doctorate in computer science, also at Stanford. Baylor was married to Sailor Schiffer Baylor, Sarah Schiffer Baylor, and had two children, Jacob and Jacqueline, which I don't know, were they mentioned in this episode? He he does say like, um, I know this type of information. I had to put my wife and kids on a plane. On a plane, yeah. He does say that. And he's like, in 24 hours, you've got me for 24 hours and I'm going to be with my family. So, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, he is outlived by his wife, Sarah Schiffer Baylor and Jacob and Jacqueline. Uh, before working at CTU as a security systems analyst, he was a consultant at CompuShield Advanced Security Systems, which has its own page on here. Um, I don't know if we really need to get into that. Uh, but interesting fact about um, the guy who played uh, Scott Baylor here. What's his name? Scott Denny. So it's his real name. Oh. Scott. He's played by Scott. 
uh, he actually retired from acting and became a physician in real life where he specializes in infectious diseases, most specifically HIV. Wow. So went on to literally went on to bigger and better things. Good old Scott. Um, a couple of things here. Uh, the You mentioned about how quickly she lands on the ground. Uh, Mandy at the beginning of the episode. Now we still see her parachuting. Let's say it's the one minute mark in this episode. I check the timestamp when she's on the ground with the world's biggest fire already burning. And it is four minutes in. So in three minutes, she finished landing on the ground, took off all her clothes, built the world's biggest fire (laughs) and probably did a couple of other things too. In that meantime there. So yeah, quite impressive. Uh, there's one thing that I feel like if you're watching this as one standalone episode, it's going to hold up a little bit better than watching them back to back, which, you know, I remember doing because, again, I don't remember a break in this. I just remember, you know, her attack on the plane. And then I remember her on the ground. And, you know, uh, when we get introduced to uh, what's what's her what's her girlfriend's name coming up soon? Mrs. Mandy. Mrs. Mandy. When we get introduced to Mrs. Mandy coming up and all that. Um, also, yeah, definitely I, gay. Just want to point out. They, those, oh, yeah. yeah. I, well, you know what? I was thinking friends at first, but something's going to tip me off in a bit in this season. <laughs> uh, Tony, there's something, you know, I, I finally figured it out between last week and this week. What it is that bothered me. It's not the fact that he's just supposed to be Mr. Suspicious. Why does Carlos Bernard feel like he has to say every line like he's seducing somebody? <laughs> Because he's like, Carlos Bernard. He should be seducing <laughs> everyone. Look at him. <laughs> yes, but but you get, the, of course, the lines with Nina. That makes sense. But he was like, Jack, why would you think that it's a bomb? Gay. Like, definitely gay. Totally gay. They walk in. <laughs> not friends. Gay. <laughs> it's just, there's something kind of slimy about him. Of course, the, the soul patch that you call flavor saver doesn't help. He's uh, <laughs> just, he's not cool in this season. Uh, but he's going to be cool eventually. Just have to warm up oh, to him. Tony's amazing. Like, stick with Tony, everyone. Like, don't oh, yeah. hate on Tony. No, I mean, literally will become. I mean, we mentioned about how uh, Chloe's going to be probably the second most important character, or most popular character. But for me, this is Jack and Tony. It is their yeah. show. And, and what's really impressive about Carlos Bernard is that he recovers from such a god-awful first season. <laughs> but then and it really just, does warm yeah. up to the audience. But then again, as we keep saying, then it kind of goes skew if because then they kind of, the writers just don't know what to do with him, which is a shame. Yeah. But uh, I mean, for at least the first five seasons, Tony is great. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm really excited to get to, you know, even when we get to season two, season three, to see how daring they are with his character because here yeah. he is so, like this is a one season character. He is an Adam, if you remember Adam from season three, you know? Mm, mm, oh, mm-hmm. he's there, he serves his purpose, and then they replace him next season. Never should have been brought back. Zachary Quinto and, is, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah that was like pre-hero Zachary, Zachary Quinto. Quinto. Yeah, oh, I can't mm-hmm. wait for Pre-Star him. I forgot Trek. that he's in this, yeah. Um, <laughs> the furniture store, I just love the furniture store because they get, there's so many things wrong with the furniture store. First of all, I just wanted them to show up and Terry be like, it's the old furniture store hangout. They were having sex. I know it. And then they're in the furniture store. They decide they want to clean up all the... <laughs> this is somebody's She's store. cleaning it up. Yes. Yeah. And then they call the owner. Yeah, you know what? Uh, somebody broke into your store and Dan, I think, is to blame. But you know what? While we're here, we're just going to clean up. This owner is having them arrested, okay? She, she's literally on the phone, like, are you home? Pick up. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, they find the owner's number and they call to inform them, we're inside your store right now. We're not authorized. We're going to clean up while we're here if it doesn't bother you. Any. It's just so absurd. Why yeah. are they cleaning? And why are they like, get like, out of there? What does she expect this owner to do? Like, oh yeah, it's it's one in the morning. Oh, you know that's terrible that your daughter's snuck out and has only been missing for an hour. Let me pass on one of my employees' confidential information to you, <laughs> so you can call him up. <gasps> Terry's and the what, worst at this point. Are they expecting the kids to come back at this point? Yeah, like you're being such an overbearing mother. She's not coming back, Terry. Like this is why she's out having sex in furniture I mean, stores. 
if they know anything about Dan, they're going to know that the girls are out for the count. Like they're mm. not up for round two. So it, they're not coming back to the furniture store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They drug test the employees at the furniture store. They're always stoned because Dan's having sex with them all. <laughs> I just, I just love the furniture store. Like the furniture store to me is the star of this season so far. Like this needs its own. I want, I want to find if maybe you could look it up to see if there is a wiki page on the furniture store. <laughs> it's got to be. Because this is legendary. This furniture store. Oh, we're going to make a furniture store t-shirt. We'll, we'll, I, they say the address in this and we will make like a, it's a good real, old fashioned advertisement. The, the furniture store is a real, like I, I read this last week that the, the where they filmed it is a legit furniture store in Los Angeles. Yes. You will have a t-shirt by the time this episode airs. I promise you that. Um, I, I, I want your confirmation on something here. Does Alan say, let me talk to Janet? Yes. Which is so, a, yeah that's gonna be a problem <laughs> yeah no no i noticed that as well because like again what if kim's just like oh yeah here she is <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh hi dad uh, 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 sorry i got a cold here you know yeah, this is your father alan york <laughs> <laughs> sorry i got something caught my throat here all right <laughs> Polito um, Furniture is the name of the store, and if anybody's listening to us in Los Angeles, you can uh, go to uh, the store, which is at one one nine one six Sheldon Street. Uh, no, that's Ooh. the sorry, that's the alley. The actual store is at six seven three two Van Nuys Boulevard. Uh, so there you go, everyone. You can go and visit oh. it right now. We're going. We're uh, episode canceled. We're yeah. going now I'm to have to... really big gay sex in yeah. the furniture store. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I, I believe it's Polito Furniture is the name of the actual store. I'm going to see if there's a way. Maybe we can get the owner of like Polito Furniture on. Oh, for, for we have episode. to. Oh, hang on. No, there is. And there is a Wikipedia page for it. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, Polito Furniture was a furniture store in Van Nuys, California, owned by Mr. Nelson. Dan Mounts was an employee there. The address number is 6732. Um, background information. Uh, Polito Furniture is a real furniture store located at 673 Van Nuys Boulevard. The church sign at 99 cents store across the street. Giveaway when Kim and Rick are on the rooftop. So that's the tell of where Van Nuys Street is in Polito Furniture. So there you go. Uh, only other thing I have to add here is we get introduced to um, the, the the assassin, uh, our our good friend um, Raul, <laughs> that we recently covered. Not Raul here, but uh, Raul. We, we, we covered. Yeah, we we covered in the past his his great role in Bedazzled. Yeah, uh, but uh, I'm sorry, the biggest disbelief. I thought that the show got more outlandish the later you went, but season one already may be the most outlandish season because you look just like him plastic surgery like okay you can't have plastic surgery to look exactly like a person this is like in thunderball where <laughs> they kill uh what's his name domino's brother and he literally looks exactly like him like it, it is not possible to have plastic surgery like this have a different actor made it to look like him okay but i cannot buy this level of face-off plastic surgery you might as well just made it face off like that's the only way that i buy this if they took his face off like that i would buy which is i mean we're only a year away from die another day colin gene therapy clearly you know like okay well there we go james bond and 24 universe they're tied together this is a dream for us we we talked about this in season one of nip tuck and nip tuck's what three years away from this point so 2004 um and the, the end of the season one there's kind of like a whole plot line there about how somebody gets their complete face to look like someone else and i mean that's a show about plastic surgery and we didn't uh say that was believable but uh here we are in 24 but yeah i love the way she's kind of like you look like you look just like martin belkin and like here he just walks in and she's topless again like just <laughs> i said me me kirsten spent more of this show naked than she has like with clothes on but uh again we're not necessarily complaining um jack shows up to this tower to find walsh um and again because like you talk about the like the the unbelievable uh, surgery and things like the things I love about this show too is just like the government technology in two thousand and one. Jack just literally calls up Nina and he's like, "Hey, um, I'm in this building. Can you get me a code?" Okay, here's a code. Okay, thanks. Bye. Um, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've never worked in a government agency. This could be how they really do things. And if they do, awesome. I want a job there. That would be awesome fun. But at the same time, is it true? And also added to that. Tony just happens to be able to listen into a call and it's perfectly transcribed word yeah. for word. Now, 
In my day job, I often have to transcribe interviews and even using the most advanced technology online in, you know, nearly 20 years after 24 aired, it cannot get it word for word perfect. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry, 2001 technology, I'm calling bullshit here. But the, the, the big thing is here, we meet Cubby for the first time. There he yeah. is. <laughs> or she, and I shouldn't assume a cup's gender. There it is, Cubby. Tony and Cubby, name a more iconic <laughs> duo in 24. Oh, we're going to have so many t-shirts. Tony and Cubby with a heart around it. Yeah, definitely gay and and proudly <laughs> so. They deserve their own float in like the, the pride parades around the world. Just Carlos Bernard sitting in a giant, you know, Chicago Cubs cup, like waving to the crowd. Um <laughs> I'd pay to see that. Uh, so Jack's sneaking around this building, finds Walsh on the roof. Uh, and what I might do is I might kind of lump, lump some of these together kind of just so we don't keep going, you know, bouncing all over the place. Um, basically, they've got to hunt through this building to find these shooters. Walsh says there's two, maybe three. Uh, what The one that threw me off in kind of it didn't make sense is that Walsh has literally said there is two, maybe three shooters. And does Jack Bauer literally say, are they armed? To which Walsh says, yes. <laughs> I, I didn't catch that, but... They're, they're shooters, aren't they? Walsh has literally been shot, Jack. Um, <laughs> yeah, got to say they're armed. Just a guess. Just a, a theory. Not sure how that plays out. Um, they basically kill two of them inside. Jack chops one of their thumbs off to find out who they are. That's an awesome scene. Fucking love badass Jack. And then eventually Walsh is going to get shot outside and he's like, take the card, find the computer, find... It's almost like save the cheerleader, save the world. Or like, yeah. you know, find that. Um, and then Jack drives off and... I swear that's like Thunderball levels of speed. Like the way they kind of see that camera <laughs> zooming along the highway, Jack speeding off. Um, Thunderball is a big influence on 24 here in season one. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy actually. Um, now these are Jack's first kills. We are going to point this out along the way. Uh, now, if I'm not mistaken, he kills two people here. So uh, play that at home and... Interesting fact, Colin Hilding, Jack won't kill anyone else until between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. So Jack's having a quiet day, day one. So, um, and actually looking here, according to 24 Wiki, it's got a list of all of his kills per season. And season one is the least amount of kills he will have in the entire series. So, is it going to uh, hit double digits, or do we not want to give that uh, away? He hits double digits, so the the minimum. Okay. I'll, I'll just I'll spoil it now. He has ten this season, according to Twenty Four Wiki, and that's the lowest amount. Uh, and for those playing at home, this is not really a spoiler. Season six is his highest kill count. So um, yeah, he triples his kills next season in season two. So if you like Jack Bauer killing people, uh, you'll eventually catch up. Um, so, again, I've kind of covered all that little section there, sort of intersected. As I said, Tony's, like, being suspicious because, oh, maybe Tony's evil. Um, who knows? Uh, yeah, Mandy discovers that uh, this looks like Martin Belkin. I, you talk about Tony sounding seductive and your opening line. I don't understand this little sequence where he's kind of like, you may boss me around in the office, but remember when we're at... Like, is he implying that, like, they're into BDSM or something like that? Like, <laughs> I'm your daddy outside the office. Meaning, and she's kind of all like, ooh, Tony, I know. Uh, that's not a very poor Nina impersonation. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm Nina Myers. <laughs> but I love the way she's kind of just, like, looks at him as if to say, like, damn like yes you are like oh she just gives this nod of like mm-hmm mm-hmm like but like it's kind of weird because like i thought a week ago it was kind of implied that there's just a bit of flirtation i actually forgot that these two are essentially fucking outside yeah. the office um which again i'm not here to judge like i've called dan a bit of a slut and let's be honest dan's a bit of a slut but like nina's gone through jack and now he's on to tony like i mean her and jamie clearly are a thing um, random woman who handed her a folder last week are clearly like Nina, like her and Mason, well, like real well, life in real really life. getting it on. <laughs> Nina is potentially the MJ of 24. Um, <laughs> just, I don't want to use words and be the rock. Good on you, Nina. Serves like we're gonna find out. It serves a purpose with her. Yeah, it, well, true, very true. Um, I mean, really all the action here is happening in the Walsh stuff, kind of. That's the majority of what we're seeing here. So kind of everything else that's in the middle is like we've got the uh, Mandy's girlfriend on the bike. She shows up and she's basically 
shows a photo of the key card. She's holding a key card hostage. Uh, and, you know, no, we're going to get what we want. And one thing I absolutely love here is Gaines. It's kind of the way he kind of like clicks his fingers and like gets to point the gun. And like, I just love a villain who kind of can just do things with fingers and just like they're, they're so evil. That woo! They can just, yeah, woo! <laughs> I'm Caster Troy! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're going to find out that she's kind of like demanding more money. Mandy's girlfriend here. Um, Palmer uh, is getting called that there's a uh, threat and we're going to meet Aaron for the first time. Woo. Yeah. Glenn Morshower. Fantastic. Hey, we now, love him. Let's, let's be honest. How many seasons did it actually take before either of us even realized Pierce is the real deal or that he did? Cause I swear it was three, four seasons in where I'm like, you know what? I think this guy's been in every season so far. Like he's so background, but like he just sneaks up on you. But but like this is again, this is a nod to what I was talking about last week about how the creators and writers of this show like actually played so well into the fan community of this show because Aaron just became like this background character that mm-hmm. all the fans noticed, and everybody. And then the other one being uh, Mike Novick too. Yeah. Yeah. Those are probably the two big ones. And like they legitimately like basically read the feedback for these characters and they made them bigger deals. And yeah, Aaron basically becomes almost a major character in season five, doesn't he? So Yeah. And like Glenn Morshaw, he he plays literally the same character in everything he's in. I think <laughs> yeah. he's exactly I think he's a Secret Service agent in Air Force One. This is a, I mean, there's a lot of twenty four actors in Air Force One if we ever want to go over that movie. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, like he's legitimately the same in everything. But he's a he's a massive fan favourite and he's only a very small role in this. And of course he's at the headquarters quarters palmer snuck out because he's going to meet up with somebody to talk about these allegations i love it when he sneaks out and kind of like you've got that couple like do you know who that is like again essentially this is almost like if barack obama in 2008 was kind of like sneaking around he would be a huge deal around there uh we meet or were they like it's a black man (laughs) (laughs) don't see one of those every day (laughs) (laughs) oh holy cow what is it what is it brendan fraser oh my lucky stars a negro Uh, But no, like, yeah, you're right. Like, maybe like, it's 1am. There's a black man in a parking lot. He must be up to no good. <laughs> Better get one of those cops out to pr- protect us. Um, but, and also we meet the Palmer children. Ugh. 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 Please, no. <laughs> Saying this now, if you talk about pointless season one plot lines, the Palmer children. Yay. Uh, <laughs> you know, just the excitement. Of the, and Green Day played Time of Your Life. I'm like, just shut up. And this is nothing against the actors who play them. They they, they don't phone it in. They put in their role. But, like, spoiler alert, you're never going to see Nicole again after this season. You see Keith in one episode in season two. That's it. Do not I don't think get they're invested. even mentioned after that. I don't think they are either. Uh, like, just do not get invested in the Palmer children, which is a bit of a plot hole. Like, it's kind of like, I mean, come on. Palmer becomes such a big thing in this universe and you're just going to ignore their children. Okay. Um, what if somebody is just like, you know, oh, what about your kids? I have no children. <laughs> Uh, you talk about the furniture store. This is where Terry basically calls up Nina to get the phone number for the owner and she just gives it to her. Okay. <laughs> um, good to see how government agencies aren't, you know, keeping secrets. Um, and then the big sort of plot twist at the end of this episode, of course, is find whoever owns this key card. Uh, whoever's computer that is, there's your dirty agent. So Jack just happens to have a security scanner in his car that can re- <laughs> Of course, that's all agents have that 2001. Uh, and the big scan comes in. Jamie finds out. I also love how Jamie's just basically like, uh, duh, Jack, we can find this out right now. Switch it from optical to magnetic, duh. Um, and the, the snooty tech support person. Oh, yep. You don't know this? Yep, precursor to Chloe. Um, and basically, oh, plot twist, the computer that this has come from is Nina Myers. Nina must be evil. Do-do-do, plot twist. But again, if you notice a little split screen, just a bit of a teaser, look at Jamie's face. Just just watch Jamie's reaction to mm-hmm. maybe Nina's evil. And also I should mention Kim calls up mummy. Uh, Dan breaks Janet's arm. And <laughs> Kim kind of plays up to the fact that they're at a party and says, I love you as kind of a, <gasps> you know. And then Terry's like, she never says I love you. And, yeah, a bit of a plot hole there when uh, Alan York, oh, can I speak to Janet? Sure, here, here she is. Uh, hi, honey. Um, <laughs> and then it ends with uh, not Martin Belkin shooting eggs. Yeah, <laughs> why is he shooting eggs? It was so weird. 
Cliff, like we're going to have some great cliffhangers with this show. And you, you talked about last week, always waiting. What is the freeze frame they're going to end on? Yeah. Who was like, you know what? We're going to have them shooting an egg. Yeah. Yeah. The, the two plot, the two uh, cliffhangers haven't been fantastic. Really. I mean, okay. Blowing up a plane is pretty cool, but I mean, the cliffhanger is literally a parachute flying off. This one is somebody shooting eggs. This isn't necessarily a like massive, massive, you know, cliffhanger that we're going to literally have in this show. Uh, I do wonder this mall that Jack and Walsh and what Scott are in, um, are there no security guards there? Like, I'm sorry, every mm. mall that I know of, every large building, any any building that, that is probably over you know one floor high probably has security guards overnight. Yeah. And there is nobody there. They have access cards to get in, but no security guards anywhere. Um, I, I don't understand like the lack of security in furniture stores and malls but obviously th- th- this is pre 9-11 in the 24 world maybe so well, this, is, this is this is los angeles colin they allow black people to just walk around at night yeah. so like it's what's happening in these stores parking garages 1 a.m i know <gasps> who is that man a black man <gasps> call the police <laughs> Uh, th- that actually was like my first thought when they when they had that look and was like, are they looking at him because he's black? <laughs> it's just Racist. not right. <laughs> just typical. I mean, this is only what eight years removed from Rodney King. Rodney King. Yeah. Rodney <laughs> King. And <laughs> um, not too much else to add. Uh, I I do love the first uh, appearance of Gaines here. Yeah. Uh, and we do get it early in the season. And there's always this one character up until season four. There's always this one character. You think it's the villain, but you know, uh, keep guessing. The three, uh, the three tiered structure of a season of twenty four. Yeah, there, right? exactly. Yeah. Uh, the best part for me is actually Dan taking the tire iron or crowbar, or whatever it is, to Janet. Yeah, uh, because you know, she she basically says, or no, I think it's Rick says, you know, Gain said not to hurt her. He goes, okay, and he just smacks Janet with it. It's great. <laughs> now, the biggest problem I actually have. Probably this entire episode. Again, it's Terry. I'm, I'm going to say right now, I really had no problem with Terry coming into this. The more I rewatch this, I'm like, Terry is so dumb. Yeah. Like, I'm going to call the furniture store owner in the middle of the night. When Kim's on the phone, she's talking to her. It's not like just a quick thing. Oh, hey, mom, at a party. I'll be home later. I'm sorry. Bye. I love you. Bye. Sorry. I love you. Bye. <laughs> uh, she's talking to her for a good minute and a half, two minutes. And then in the end, she's like, she said, I love you. <laughs> something's wrong not the fact that she's sobbing uncontrollably while saying she's at a party she can't i'm sorry i'm just at a party yeah exactly and terry's like she said i love you something's up about this <laughs> she's sobbing uncontrollably like terry is the worst mother in the history of mothers I gotta say quickly Ever. now, like I think I mentioned last week about how everyone gives Skylar shit in Breaking Bad for being an annoying mother, and I think I said last week like Terry's not that bad. As I bang the microphone there to make my own noise in the background, <laughs> but like I'm two episodes into a very closely and analytical rewatch, I'm saying Terry's actually really annoying all of a sudden. Like, yeah, never picked up on it. I've always liked Terry, but now all of a sudden she's fucking annoying. Yeah, we really got to stop recapping shows. It's ruining yeah, it. It's ruining uh, it for us. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, on a rewatch, I do love the absurdity of Terry's character. You know, it's going to give us a new thing every single week. What's the dumbest thing Terry can do this week? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the, as I said earlier, you know, uh, let me talk to uh, Janet. No, not really buying that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this guy is pretty weak. Uh, yeah, I don't think we really have much else to add. I mean, I, I will say the shootout that they have in the mall is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's very diehard, like, too. I mean, there's a point where he has to crawl across the broken glass. There's no cuts or anything from that, but oh well. Uh, and the, the fact that they're sneaking all around the building, you know, uh, he's looking for Walsh. Walsh finds that, that moment where they're, uh, I'm not going to say back-to-back, Jack's backs to Walsh. And he holds a gun up and says, Jack! And then he turns around and he doesn't lower his gun. Like, I love that too. Like, he he thinks it's Jack, but I'm not lowering my gun just in case. Uh, Walsh going out so soon, uh, I had no memory of Walsh before we rewatched this season. Uh, I always assumed that Mason was the guy from the beginning. Mm. And maybe I was obviously confusing Mason and Walsh here. But I mean, for people watching this, let's pretend if it is 2001, you're watching either episode one and episode two, or you're watching episode one and two back to back. This is kind of the cliffhanger. I mean, this is the big shocker. This character that I'd say up until now, outside of Jack's family, 
Walsh has probably been set up as the most major player because you know he has power, you know he's important. And then they just kill him off. I mean, it's like a psycho thing. You know, we're going to take a major character and kill them in the first act. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's kind of, it's very much like that. And like, I, yeah, I'm with you that I think the um, the whole shootout is great. And one thing too that I think a lot of people remember 24 for the action, but particularly season one is one that doesn't have as much action. I think there's, there's only a few set pieces worth of action in this in this season and they kind of come very spread mm-hmm. out. But no, this is kind of second episode in and we're getting a massive, uh, massive shootout. Um, we don't really have a whole lot here to wrap it up. I think there's not a whole lot of trivia or anything really to to add to close this up um we've mentioned a few character first appearances we've mentioned the kills things like that uh the only thing i'll mention this is the first episode that uh we get special guest stars for penny johnson gerald carlos bernard and richard Berge. even richard Berge gets a alan york himself gets a uh special uh appearance here nearly jack bauer uh but yeah i don't really have a whole lot more to add any other closing things here that i think we need to point out or anything that we haven't mentioned in this episode uh no except uh visit uh our sponsor this week uh whatever's furniture store Polito um, furniture store uh, Polito's is- furniture sponsoring the show this week great place to uh pick up a nice new sofa dining room <laughs> set or have sex next time i'm in la uh like generally like i like to go to visit like a tv studio do a tour those sort of things or i like to see other things like that my, my next goal is for filming locations Polito furniture that is definitely where i'm gonna go um So I guess if we don't have much else to do, uh, we have a rating for this episode and then we've got to rank it. Um, This is an interesting episode. I feel like we've really breezed through this episode really quickly, but I think we we, we often do this in our TV recaps. But, um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to go with this one. Uh, Colin, are we buying, renting, or bidding this one? I think in retrospect it's actually stronger than episode one. Um, Even though we don't have, like, a massive, massive moment like the the plane destruction. but there's so many questionable things in this. I mean, it's not going to be a bin. I don't think there's, it's, it's going to be tough to, I think, bin anything in 24 this early on, but uh, it's definitely another renter. Uh, overall, probably more interesting start to finish, but also more absurd at the same time. Yeah, I think, I mean, we both bought last week and I think a large key reason of that was because it was the pilot that sets up this show and I think we both agreed that if it wasn't the pilot, we probably would have rented it. And I'd probably feel the same. Like, it's like this isn't a bad episode. You're absolutely right. It's tense, it's exciting, it goes by quickly. You're intrigued. You want to keep watching this show, like, from this point on. It's, it's exciting. But I think also in retrospect, watching this nearly 20 years later, some things feel a bit, like, weird compared to when you first mm-hmm. watch it and, like, you're noticing things like Terry kind of being a pain in the butt and things like that. So, yeah, I'm going to rented as well uh which i think easily makes the rankings pretty easy as well because we both <laughs> bought last week so i feel this will definitely go into our number two slot uh yeah. on our on our list am i not am i not mistaken there yeah uh and again it's kind of sad because i feel like without the furniture store terry thing uh this probably would have topped last week but um <laughs> It's a large part of this episode. <laughs> and I, I, I unfortunately, now that we're getting into this, I'm more and more worried that Terry and Alan York is going to really drag down the first half of the season. Here we are complaining about um, Terry and we've barely gotten to Kim being annoying. Yet. Oh, so and then there's Kim. Maybe yeah. this isn't like the classic season we all thought, but there's going to no. be great stuff here. Jack's going to shove a towel down somebody's throat. Oh, I will count is... down the weeks Ooh. until that moment. If that doesn't make our top five at the end of this season, oof, we're, we're yeah. doing something wrong. Uh, we'll be back next week for episode three. We get to uh, see more of Mandy and a girlfriend. We get to learn more about the uh, Palmer children. Palmer gets a baseball bat thrown at his fist and... Uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty still to come. Uh, and uh, let us know what you're thinking of 24. Go visit the furniture store. Go get some furniture from Pleto Furniture and have sex on a bed because that's what they expect you to do. Uh, but we'll be back for episode three of 24 next week. In the meantime, my name is Ben, a.k.a. the Young and the Restless Generation. And my name is Colin, and my children were conceived at Polito Furniture. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. 
And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, Yes, sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah! If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon! That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.